It is the 200 level episode 74 from the basement during this quarantine. We aren't even in April yet, and apparently April 30th. That is the new date. The social distancing guidelines continue for the entire month. So we'll get to that in a bit. I mean, that's kind of the reality we're living in. But I do want to start off, of course, as a reminder that the 200 level is lucky enough to have some great sponsors in DP Doe, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen, and Fourth and Kirby. And you can support all these sponsors during these unprecedented times. First off, DP Doe online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, whether it's a custom zone where you can make your own with all your favorite toppings or favorites like the Maui Wowie, the Buffer Zone, online again at dpdoe.com. Also, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen, all of their products are locally born and raised here in Champaign-Urbana, so they have not only insurance expertise, but their local interest at heart. So go online to brianismyguy.com. That's Trevor's favorite domain. BrianIsMyGuy.com, and they have life, auto, home, business renters, you name it. Brian Hansen, your State Farm agent. And also, Fourth and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code THE200 level or just 200 level for 10% off your order at fourthandkirby.com for vintage inspired Alani t shirts, sweatshirts, apparel. It's super cool. I got a couple t shirts myself. Also, thanks to Alani Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network in their partnership with the 200 level. So it is March 31st, as I'm sitting down here in the basement, and I'm excited that in the next month, since we are supposed to be at home for the next month, I finally have figured out how to do interviews. Now, for this particular episode, we're just calling it Corey Bradford, because that's the interview that we're going to have at the end here. It's about a half hour long, and it was great to speak with Corey, who is one of my all-time favorite Illini. I've made that point very clear back on 93.5 and up to this point. In my short list of favorite Illini players, probably early on, Deion Thomas would have been the first one I really connected with as a young six, seven-year-old. But Corey Bradford would have been there during a very transformational period of Illinois basketball. As much as I enjoyed the 98 Big Ten title team, I wasn't quite at that age. I think I would have been 11, 12 years old when that was going on. It wasn't until that 99 run in the Big Ten tournament that my eyes really opened up. And you couple that with the excitement of Frank, Marcus, Brian Cook, all coming in the following year. You knew that something special was building, but Corey was the first guy to really make that impact. So even with all those new additions in Lon Kruger's final year and then into Bill Self's three years here at Illinois, Corey Bradford was the one consistent. And there was something about the fact that he was there for that 3-13 and Big Ten team that he was the catalyst for that run in the Big Ten tournament, that he was the original. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but there was something uh, that always endeared me to Corey because of that, that he had to go through the ringer, so to speak, as a freshman, and then was able to enjoy the success of his final three years, which included two Big Ten titles, of course, the first and second years of Bill Self, and some of my favorite Illini teams of all time. So Corey, as good of a three-point shooter as he was, that goes without saying, also a tenacious defender, and he really embodied that team's identity. He's a tough guy, and it goes without saying. He played, I think, 19, 18, 19 seasons of pro ball. We get into this in the interview, but he was in his last season of professional basketball when all this stuff broke out. He was in China and had to be in quarantine for a bit. He is back in the States, uh, down in Florida, so he is fortunately back here as we now go through our own quarantine for the next month. So it was great to talk with Corey, always gracious, great interview, very honest, and I... I say this at the end to probably anybody I'd interview. Well, we'll talk soon. And Corey means it. He's like, yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So won't be the last time we talk to Corey, but I hope you enjoy that interview. It is coming up. And again, about a half hour's worth of conversation with one of my favorite Illini. Now, for me as a sports fan, this has been a very interesting month. That goes without saying. That goes for all of you because it would have been a mere, let's see, 23 days ago that Illinois beat Iowa at home. And it seems like an eternity. And yeah, 23 days, depending on your perspective, could be a short time or a long time, but it certainly feels like three months worth of time when really only about three weeks have passed. And it has been a new reality to try to find something to fill that void. Now, for me, one thing that's been really cool is on NBC Sports Chicago, they're playing old Chicago Bulls games, specifically the 96 playoff run. So they already went through the Miami sweep. That was a three-game sweep in Miami, no problem. Alonzo Mourning and Tim Hardaway, and then Rex Chapman, who's like this Twitter icon now, was the shooting guard for Miami back in the day. That was a tough enough Miami team, but the Bulls, of course, the 72-win Chicago Bulls, no issues, even though Michael Jordan had a bit of a gimpy back issue going on the early parts of those playoffs. 
second series, though, the New York Knicks. And as tough as that series was, the Bulls won in five. That's how good they were. No big deal. They went in five against the Knicks. And there was, I think, game four. They replayed that on Sunday on NBC Sports Chicago, where the Bulls were trailing by as much as eight in the second half. And, of course, they do what the Bulls did so often back then. No problem. And the thing that stuck out with me, though, watching these old Bulls games, the 96 team in particular, because the first three-peat, I remember a little bit, bits and pieces. I remember the John Paxson three-pointer to beat the Suns in 93. But 95-96, the first full season that Jordan was back after the baseball experiment, was one of my favorite years ever. And you could feel that enthusiasm even down here in Champaign-Urbana, two hours from where it was taking place. But it still felt so cool that the biggest sports team on the planet, and maybe the biggest sports team ever, you can make that argument, was a mere two-hour drive away at the United Center. And as that season's going on, the Bulls started, get this, 41-3. and 41-3. and on their way to a 72-win season. Of course, the talk started pretty early that this could be the best team ever. And it stuck out to me watching these replays how big they were. I'm talking about size. Ron Harper was your 6'6 point guard. Jordan, of course, 6'6 a shooting guard. And he didn't bring the ball up the court very much. That was something I had to be reminded of, that he mostly played off the ball to conserve that energy. Amazing defender, too. Do not forget that about Jordan, one of the best defenders ever. And speaking of great defenders, Scottie Pippen, 6'8", small forward, but really more of a point forward because he would bring the ball up about half the time while Ron Harper would bring it up the other half. Dennis Rodman goes without saying, fantastic. Luke Longley, serviceable, pretty good center, much better offensively than defensively. And then on the bench, you had the likes of Judd Bushler. Don't forget about Judd Bushler, six foot seven small forward that could shoot. You had Steve Kerr, of course, who shot over 50% from three. Randy Brown as your backup point guard. He was all right. You had Bill Wennington, which it felt like in a long line of tall white guys for the Bulls. It was Will Perdue, Bill Wennington, Luke Longley. And then he had old John Sally. I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting anybody on that team or not. I probably am. Maybe Dickie Simpkins. Maybe he was the first round pick. So it was with great enthusiasm that just last night the news broke that the 10-part documentary series about these Bulls, The Last Dance, and that actually I guess would have been the 98 Chicago Bulls, but in that second three-peat, The Last Dance 10-part documentary is now airing not in June, but April 19th. So we are less than three weeks from the debut of this most anticipated documentary on ESPN since probably the OJ thing, which is still the best documentary I've ever seen. But this is a 10-part series that will begin airing on Sunday, April 19th on ABC. So I'm excited for that. That sounds like a plug almost, but let's be real. If you're a Bulls fan or a basketball fan, you're going to be tuning in, especially in this you know moment where we are so starved for any kind of sports to consume. So I have that to look forward to. I, I love watching these old games, though. And I've seen some people tweet out about how the score bug is not always on the screen, which maybe I mentioned in an earlier podcast. I even find myself having to adjust to that, where I need to be that much more attentive of a viewer to make sure after each possession I'm watching that TV to get the three-second blip that they have the score and the time up there. But to listen to... Marv Albert when it was a national broadcast, or my favorites are actually when it's the local, what would have been, I think, sports channel back in the day when it was Tom Dore, Johnny Red Kerr, and then back in the studio, Norm Van Leer. And Norm was super cool. He just has this great sort of swagger on the air. Funny guy. And I remember watching all those games. We probably had every game and every pregame on the TV. It was just something that was perpetually on, especially in that second three-peat. And what we used to do is during the starting lineups, we'd turn off all the lights in the family room. We had a couple flashlights, and we'd kind of, I guess, mimic what was going on with those starting lineups for the Bulls, which Ray Clay, one of the best voices in PA history, if such a book were to be written, and kind of a forgotten name because I feel like he got fired sort of unceremoniously from the Bulls not long after that final three-peat. But all these things, all these cues that it's really cool to take a trip down memory lane for that particular part of my sports fandom because at that point when I try to think well was I more into Bulls basketball or Illini basketball this would have been the transition from Lou Henson to Lon Kruger and it was pretty good if you think about it Kwan Garris would have been on those Illini teams at least Lon Kruger's first team that got the four seed in the NCAA tournament only to lose I think to Chattanooga 
or maybe they were a six seed. I forget where they were, but they lost to, I think, an 11 or 12 seed Chattanooga when they had a sweet 16 path right there for them. So that would have been Lon Kruger's first year. And then the second year, let's see, if it goes 95-96 for Henson, 96-97 for Kruger, and then 97-98 would have been the Big Ten title team. So if I'm trying to think here, this was still a pretty good period for Illini basketball. But the Bulls were just the upper echelon of any sports talk period. And maybe it was the fact that the Bulls were just off the charts historically good that Illinois being merely good at basketball, it was just a perfect, blissful existence for me as a sports fan. And, of course, the Yankees started playing well, too. So, man, I, I really have no room to complain as a sports fan, any slumps that might be going on, because for the most part, I had so much success early on, all the way up through 2005, and you can even stretch that to the Rose Bowl in 07 or the Yankees winning in 09. The last decade may have stunk, but I have so much goodwill and good memories built up in those first 20 years that I really can't complain and everything now is gravy. Speaking of which, there was this Twitter thing going around. I saw Isaac repost it. I saw Lon repost it. It was like 12 pills that you could take as a Lon I fan. Which three would you take? And it ranged the gamut from the 05 team winning the national championship, which I think for most Illini fans that are at least 20 years old, that would be one that you would select. You would take that pill. One that was not on there was the 89 team winning the championship, and Lon had mentioned that. But Lon made a point, and we had talked about this back on the show in 93.5, is if Illinois had just won it in 89, even for me, as someone that would not have been able to absorb that because I was two and a half years old, there would be so much less weight on being an Illini basketball fan or just being an Illini fan in general. Our identity is so tied up to that basketball program that if you just add that national championship banner to the State Farm Center, whatever year it may have been, and I know they list one, I think, from back in 1983, whatever, but one that we could remember and talk about, then 05, for example, would have been less painful, losing to North Carolina. We came so tantalizingly close, it felt like we were due, right? In the Harry Black's famous words, we were due for that national title, and it just didn't happen. But I have to think a lot of that animosity that's sort of tucked into our fiber of being Illini fans, is all because of the Sean Higgins putback or Sean May fouling out James Augustine in five minutes. And as I talked with Corey about, the 01 team, I mean, they thought they were going to win a national title that year. I remember thinking, we're pretty good and we could win it. Felt like maybe more Final Four, that'd be an absolutely amazing accomplishment for that team. But in that locker room, they said national title. And then he had that ripped away from you when Arizona shoots, I think, 56 foul attempts. As Corey mentions, he and Lauren Woods ended up becoming really good friends. And anytime they speak on the phone or via text, he always tells Corey, hey, thanks for that. Thanks for that. And Corey, over time, I think is maybe, it's a little bit less of a bitter pill to swallow, but that team knew what they had. Just like the 89 team knew what they had and the 05 team knew what they had. So if you just somehow finish the job in one of those years, I think everything else just is a lot easier to take. Sure, we have our frustrations. The John Gross era still would have been frustrating. Though you do wonder, is there a John Gross era if Bruce Weber wins the title in 05? And that's really it. The difference of Luther making a couple shots at the end there. And if they win that title, does Bruce Weber get that many more recruits? I, I don't know if that's the case because I think you kind of know what you get with the Bruce Weber. He can maintain a program the likes of a Kansas State, but he couldn't maintain it here. But I do wonder, does he get that much longer of a leash if you simply can hang that national title banner? Do we get as angry as a fan base with Bruce Weber towards the end there if he had been able to raise that national championship banner? Probably not. So there's certainly things may have changed, but that talk about butterfly effect, I don't even know if that's butterfly effect. That would maybe have been huge, a seismic shift if you just were able to win that game in 2005. So on Sunday, they had the 05 Illinois-Arizona game, which I talked about a little bit in the last podcast, was able to kind of relive that and go down that rabbit hole of darkness that I felt for about a 10-minute stretch in the second half where Arizona stretched that lead and, frankly, were the better team from, let's say, 15-minute mark in the second half to the four-minute mark. And then Illinois just goes off at the end of that second half and then into overtime. But even then, you couldn't keep Arizona from making their own run, and they had a shot to win it. And that's the difference, right? At the end of that game, I remember being so tense for that last possession, as we all were, not just because Arizona could have just tied it, but that they make a shot and they win it. And all this comeback would have been for naught. Fortunately, we don't have to play that game. But in rewatching that and reminding 
uh, being reminded how good Darren Williams was in that game and how good Luther was despite being a little bit gimpy and how fast D. Brown was. And not just offensively, but he was the Big Ten defensive player of the year, if you recall. All the steals he got, but just so disruptive on defense. And it wasn't James Augustine at the end of the game. It was Jack Ingram, which I know has kind of been built into Illini lore. But you watch it and you think Jack Ingram was pretty good. I mean, he wasn't just a role player on that team. He was a pretty good big and a transfer from Tulsa, I believe. Post Bill Self, he was a transfer from there. So it's been a really interesting few weeks just in terms of life, but also one in where you can reflect on your sports fandom and you watch these old games and you get excited. The appointment television becomes, oh, look, there's going to be an Illini Classic on Big Ten Network. Or there's going to be another 96 Chicago Bulls game on NBC Sports Chicago. That's just kind of the reality we're living in, for better or worse. Um, fortunately, there is some normalcy returning. For me, we're going to start e-learning tomorrow for the kids, so that'll be fun to get back to a Google Hangout lecture sort of thing. It's almost like college style for these sixth graders, but we're starting that tomorrow. Get to get back to that and actually interact with some of the kids, which we haven't interacted for about three weeks. So that normalcy, it's good to have. Uh, meanwhile, though, there's just a lot going on that it's tough to not feel uh, as if there's kind of a cloud looming over everything. And I noticed this yesterday. I went out for a drive because I'm working the new album and mixing it, and I like to listen to it on different speaker systems. So I'm like, I'm just going to go for a drive. And I do that on what was an absolutely beautiful spring day here in Champaign, going down Windsor, which, you know, doesn't really matter what time of day it is, tends to be a busy street, nobody. Or I go for runs on campus, which it feels like just an extended spring break. I've seen campus dead before, but just not for three consecutive weeks. And it's these little cues where, you know, everything feels, you, you begin to get used to it, what your day-to-day -day routine is. But at the same time, when you ever venture outside the house, even just to walk the dog, something's different, right? And maybe we'll get used to that. I mean, we got a whole nother month to get used to that. Um, but it is just odd, I guess is the best word, where you go to sleep and whatever, you wake up and it's like, oh yeah, that thing is going on. This whole pandemic thing, which we aren't going to shake for a while. One thing that actually made me feel okay yesterday was getting an email about the Smashing Pumpkins show in Indy that Kara and I were going to go to in April. And they've rescheduled it for October, the day before my birthday. And I thought, well, okay, hopefully by then, you know, we can begin resuming activities like that. And that was to me a cue that, oh, wait, there is another, there is an end to this. There is the light at the end of the tunnel, proverbially speaking. But I did think about this during a, a week in which Lovey Smith had a teleconference. I guess that would have been late last week. And Illinois football recruiting is at a standstill. And what I would so often do at the beginning part of the relaunch of the 200 level is come on here and talk about how poor of a job Lovey and his staff were doing over there at the Smith football complex. And now I'm thinking, well, wait a second. I could come on here and do the same thing about how there's no momentum. And then I thought, well, does it really matter? And here's my point to that. Take Illinois football, for example, coming off a 6-1 year where you'd like to feel more momentum than you do. And if you take away the pandemic, I think I might be freaking out a little bit more. I, I might be saying, well, why were they not able to capitalize on the recruiting front? And now that you add this into the mix, everything's come to such a standstill that there's no momentum going on for Illinois football. And yet, I don't know if it matters. I don't know if there's going to be a season, not to be alarmist or hyperbolic or anything, but we don't know if there's going to be a season or not. So. As this plays out, I'm starting to think in, in narratives that would not have existed before this pandemic. For example, let's say there is no football season. Well, do all these guys get granted another year of eligibility? Let's say there is a football season and you struggle and you go four and eight, but you think of lost revenue because some of these games are played in front of nobody. Well, then can you afford to make a move, a coaching change, if you have to? Because we all know that 2021 doesn't look so good, right? So all these different things that if you're Josh Whitman, how do you calculate that? How do you calculate the unknown? And you probably have contingency plan after contingency plan, or maybe he's just saying, you know what? I got to go with this. I got to ride with Lovey probably for another couple of years because of this thing that's going on. So, you know, I could come on here and I could complain about Illinois football recruiting stinking, which it does. There is a sort of live luncheon thing with Rod Smith today, and they say, first 500 people only. And I'm thinking, there aren't 500 people that are going to go to this. And that might seem a little bit cynical on my part, which I know I can get into that trap 
far quicker with Illini football than basketball. I so badly want Illinois basketball to be good that even at my lowest, I'm like, yeah, maybe they could. Maybe they could turn this around. Illinois football, you know, your battered fan syndrome where you just don't think they're ever going to figure it out. So it's just a weird spot because I would even come on here and try to give you some analysis or commentary about what this means for Illini football when in reality, I don't know what it means for Illini football. I don't know what it means for Illini basketball with the transfer market now in full force and are you going to get a grad transfer to replace Alan Griffin? There are stories about Alan Griffin and the schools that he's looking at and I'm thinking, okay, I'd probably be more bothered by this if basketball were still active, but it's not and there's bigger fish to fry, so it's sort of whatever. I think at the end of the day, it's one of those situations that we're kind of waiting for the dust to settle whenever it does to get back to some sort of normalcy. And that's why for this month, what we're going to be doing for each podcast is at least doing a conversational interview segment, whether it be Corey Bradford today or Steve Breitweiser, who I reached out to. We're going to get that hooked up. Trevor, Isaac, Juan, we'll get people in here because I find myself sort of going around in circles and realizing, wait a second, I don't know where things are going to end up. So what's the point in even prognosticating that when we're still just trying to make it to April 30th? So I guess that brings me to my final point before this interview, which you will enjoy. It's a trip down memory lane, and Corey is super honest and forthright with some memories. We do talk about Arch for a little bit as well, Uh, and he was in China when that happened during the quarantine, which you think about compounding weirdness with a real life moment of, of sadness of mourning and what he and the rest of the guys on that team had to go through when that news came down, Uh, you know, in the midst of all this craziness for me, this podcast is just a means to come down and an outlet, right? An outlet where I can just talk into a microphone for whoever cares to listen. But on the other end are people who are dealing with this in their own way. So on one hand, I don't want to belabor the point about the reality. On the other hand, I can't ignore it because it's impacting all of our lives, our moods, our attitudes, day-to-day routine, all of that, you name it. So as I will always say on this podcast, stay safe, stay healthy, stay home, do what you got to do. And fortunately, the weather's getting a little bit nicer. So yesterday I mowed the lawn, a sense of normalcy, right? I was able to do something that I would do in a non-pandemic situation. And I'll take those little things and run with it. But do what you got to do to take care of yourselves and your families and your loved ones. And I cannot wait until the moment that we can tailgate, even if it's for the crappiest football program. (laughs) Even if as cynical as I might get about Lovey Smith and this football program, I cannot wait until the moment where I get a text from a friend. Hey, what time are you getting to the lots? You know, that sort of thing. It's out there. It, It will happen. And hopefully it will happen on time. And we'll get back to it this this August or September. Um, in the meantime, just a reminder, in these really unprecedented times, support DP Doe. Here's what you do. You go to dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. So if you want to just stay home, which you should, you want to stay planted, but you want some good food to boot, go to dpdoe.com for custom zones, some of your favorites, Maui Wowie, Buffer Zone, you name it dpdo.com for all of that. Also, 4th and Kirby online at 4thandkirby.com. Brian is my guy for State Farm Agent Brian Hansen. And these are times where we need to support our local businesses. Something really cool going on from Weisskamp, a local t-shirt printing shop, is there are about 40 different local businesses where you can go to Weisskamp, order a t-shirt to support that business. Most of the proceeds go directly to that business. So you get something out of it. You get a cool t-shirt. Me and Kara bought uh, four of those t-shirts this weekend. So go over to Weisskamp and support them. Uh, Buy gift cards. Do whatever you got to do to keep these places afloat so that when this ends your favorite place is still standing. I think that's the goal. Okay, so Corey Bradford, in Florida, he is riding this out like the rest of us. He is retired after an 18, 19 year professional career, which is remarkable no matter what the profession is, let alone basketball. And we get into the whole range of topics here, not just the run that he had here from 98 to 2002, which again was that transformative time for me as an Illini fan, but also the current team. And what he saw, he saw quite a few games this year. I asked him about Iowa versus Frank because I feel like there's some similarities between these two guys, and he had a pretty cool response about that. Uh, We get into a whole bunch of topics, and it was really cool to talk with one of my favorite Illini of all time who's always been a great interview as well. So without further ado, it is Corey Bradford on the 200 level. All 
All right, it is the 200 level. Mike Carpenter here from the basement with Corey Bradford. And Corey, I mentioned on the last couple of podcasts that because there's no live sports going on that I need to play a little bit of Remember When. So last week, I was sitting down here in the basement. I flipped on Illinois, Kansas, Sweet 16, 2001. And that was an interesting game to watch because that it kind of, I think, summarized what that team was good at, which was toughness and rebounding and defense. And right. yet it was not the most elegant basketball game either it was really uh not until late that you guys kind of took that one over right um i mean that was always with kansas um they were a team that matched up with us pretty well just because of their size and um physicality and um i think late in that game we really took control and we had worn down um you know in due time we pretty much worn down close to the end of the game and stuff so it showed you know what's frustrating watching that replay is that it kind of foreshadowed what was going to happen two days later because i think arch and Griff, and maybe even Krupalia, they all fouled out that Friday night. And as I was watching that, I started getting angry knowing what happened 48 hours later. Right. Um, I mean, that's that's a nightmare we all <laughs> want to forget, you know, with the uh, playing Arizona team that shot 56 free throws. I mean, it still kind of kicks us in the butt to this day. Uh, terrible. Just yeah, terrible. yeah, we'll get to that here in a second. <laughs> what I wanted to do, Corey, if it was okay with you, is that you know your four-year run here really saw it was a transformative time for Illinois basketball because when you came in, it was on the heels of that senior-laden 1998 team that won the Big Ten title, kind of right, out of nowhere. Right. And Lon Kruger had become kind of firmly entrenched as the coach here, and things were rolling pretty good. But your freshman year, of course, we remember the Big Ten tournament, but before that a lot of struggles. So when you came in, did you anticipate that that was going to be a year of, I guess, growing pains? Um, we knew it was. We just, you know, obviously, you know, when you go through a, a, a building stage, um, it's all on your mindset. And, you know, I always give Coach Kruger and the staff credit for really mentally preparing us for each practice, each game, as if we were winning. It actually wasn't, but, you know, it's just our approach. You wouldn't even thought that we were the last team in the Big Ten and and that we're – with our mindset, you wouldn't even known that we had so many freshmen and sophomores on that team. And, um, and late in the season, um, we changed up a game plan and we played like we had nothing to lose, and, and it showed. Unfortunately, we just came up short, just ran out of gas. So what was it going in that Big Ten tournament? Was there any sort of mindset difference, or did you guys have a sense that, given the matchups, you could take it all the way to Sunday? Well, I mean, obviously we had confidence, but um, we knew that the, the the task at hand was, I mean, it was it was going to be tough playing four ranked teams in four straight days and starting off against Minnesota. Um, and then next we played Indiana, I believe, and then it was Ohio State, and then, of course, the Michigan State. Um, and again, it was just Coach Kruger and the staff, they just completely changed up our game plan. We ran totally different plays. Um, we played totally opposite what we were playing the whole season and just kind of caught teams off guard. And, and again, when you got a young, hungry team that's willing to, you know, throw the first punch and, and play, we had nothing to lose and, and let teams know, like, you know, at this stage in that season, we can use that to build towards next season. And it, and it definitely benefited in a huge, huge way. How much of that Sunday game against Michigan State was simply running out of gas and how much of it was that they were the eventual national champions? Um, I think 10% of us run out of gas, but again, Michigan State was that team. Those were a team full of studs. They had discipline. They had um, a great leader in Cleese. You know, obviously they got Izzo, that's, that's um, a great coach, and, um, and they just had a team that was extremely deep. And they was a mature team. They had so much experience. And I mean, that's, that's tough to go up against. <laughs> and, that, and that became a great rivalry over the next three years. I think it was pretty much even between you guys and Michigan State. And it's funny because my wife, she's a Michigan State alum. And I have to tell her, you know, back in the day, it was 1A, 1B at the top of the Big Ten. It was Illinois and Michigan right. State. And, you know, a, a couple of co-champions between those two teams. But at the same time, it kind of seemed like a like a friendly rivalry? I mean, there wasn't as much bad blood as, say, you know, Indiana. Right. Um, you know, against that team, you know, Michigan State, we everyone had the respect for the team because, I mean, obviously they were they were known to be the top bruiser throughout the whole country in any country, in any conference, to say. And, um, and the respect we had for each other was definitely mutual. And we knew um, whoever, you know, oust each other once we played that we knew we were going to be the number one and you know the best team considering the big 10 and that's something we took pride in and we just knew once we dethroned them that we were going to be the best team and, and that's what happened 
when that Big Ten tournament ended in 1999, it probably didn't hurt knowing that Griff and Frank and Brian Cook were waiting in the wings ready to join you guys. So the difference in expectations between going into your freshman year and going into your sophomore year, how did they change? Uh, I mean, the, the expectation obviously was just a, a, a rebuilding season for us. You know, and again, going into that second year, we added the pieces that we were missing. Um, we, we added on some winners um, with um, with Griff and, and Frank, and it was just a magnificent way of putting those pieces together to us and, 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 and pieces that we were lacking. And also, we getting we getting those pieces for a good amount of years and stuff to to help build the program and stuff to say. So it it, it all worked out magnificent. And and um, you know, again, those are those are two personalities that we needed on our team as well because you know, as you know, we had a team full of characters. Absolutely, and that was the, one of my favorite parts of that 2000, 2001, 2002 stretches, the amount of characters <laughs> on that team. And we'll get to some of the side guys in a bit um, who all played their role terrifically, but I'm thinking about Frank, and <laughs> first off, from your perspective, and now, are you still playing pro ball, or have you finally retired? Well, I was in the midst of playing my final season, but you know, unfortunately, with everything that's going on, it, okay. it, it did definitely hinder that, so... As you're watching from afar and you see DeMonte Williams play a big role, and, and not only that, but really developed into a key part of this team late in the season, uh, that has to be just a trip for you to see Frank's kid now on the court and representing that name so well. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I joke all the time where every time I watch them play, I get reminded of my age because every time I see DeMonte, <laughs> it's like the last time I seen him, I think he was maybe four years old, sure, yeah. three or four years old. So, um, and, and I'm going to go on record saying this, that he's the, he's the, the, the glue to that team. The amount of tangible things he does for the, for the team really, really goes unnoticed sometimes. And I'm not just saying it just because me and his dad was backcourt mates and we were very close. But it's the truth. I, I think he's the, the thing he brings to the program and to the team is those intangible things he does goes a long way. And we, we all know that he can do way more. He can score a lot more. You know, he's very talented score. He's proved that in high school and he's proved it on that level in a few times, but on the college level a few times. But um, I think he's something he can do on a consistent level. But, you know, again, he's taken on that role to doing those intangible things and it. And it definitely helps out the program. Yeah, from all his off, he had some offensive struggles early in the year, and then in the month of February, he was the best three point right. shooter on the team. So uh, right. I, he's one of those guys. That reminds me, Corey, of and I don't know if you remember Chester Frazier's career at Illinois, where absolutely offensively kind of struggled the first three years, and then I remember his senior year just being very efficient and maybe didn't take the right. most shots per game. But you mentioned glue guy, and Demonte already mm-hmm. had that. You mix in some three point shooting, and then he's that much more valuable. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's tough to do because you're so you're so used to doing those tangible things and always be the one that's making the the extra pass for a guy to get a better shot, and um, and you're limited to certain amount, you know, a certain amount of shots each game. So it's tough to get a rhythm in terms of that, and then once you get a knack for it and get a rhythm for it, and then you find your base with it, then obviously you get consistent with it. You know, taking eight shots a game and knocking down six of those eight. You know, I mean, that's hard to do. It's definitely hard to do throughout a 40-minute course of game. We'll get back to this team in a bit because right now, fortunately, there's genuine enthusiasm about Illinois basketball the way there hasn't been in probably a decade. But uh, as you go from your second to your third year, and your second year was very successful, uh, Coach Kruger's last year at Illinois, four seed in the NCAA tournament. But I, I noticed, and maybe this is just me, you know, my 13, 14-year-old self remembering this, but it, it, there seemed to be a key difference or change in identity between Lon Kruger's last year, Bill Self's first year. So was there a moment that Coach Self came in and you guys, I guess, adopted a new identity? Or did he just bring out something that maybe you already had? Well, I think he just um, he put in a he put in a system. And I, and, and I think we already created identity. We, we was a hard-nosed team. We we're a team that can go through a brick wall. We were going to just pound teams. That was our identity. And I think he just put a game plan together that caters to, to our identity. And I think that's what benefit us that whole season. And we knew we were the best team in the country going in. We said we don't care what other universities have, what other teams have. Our goal is to win a national championship. We know we're going to be Big Ten championships, uh, Big Ten champions. We know we're going to be a number one seed. And we know we're going to win a national championship. And our whole mindset is how we're going to win a national championship. Was it as simple as just adopting that high-low and really kind of playing into the strengths of the front court? Or was it more than that? 
Well, I mean, we we stuck with our game plan no matter what, who, you know, no matter who we played. And our whole mindset was, well, if the other team can't score, they can't win. And that's our identity. We went on and we kind of um, used that to, to carry on the offensive end, you know, use our defense for our offense, you know, obviously. And um, and that was pretty much our identity. We just we just took it from there and just let teams know, like, look, you're going to play our way. And that's it. And that's the way we were going to win. I was looking back on basketball reference, and I think you guys started that season ranked eighth. So you were a top 10 team, and there were expectations. But it was really that trip down to Maui, if I recall, where it was Maryland, Arizona, and Duke. Or uh, Duke might have came a week later, right. but you played uh, two number one teams in the span of a week, Arizona and Duke. And I think the combined margin of defeat was like three points. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, again, that's that's one of those early season tournaments that kind of gives you that natch, neck where you're like, you know what, this is where we are, you know what I mean? And um, and playing against great competition. Obviously, we know Maui is always a competitive tournament each year, always fun to watch, always some of the best universities are participating in. So I think that tournament was a huge test for us to let us know exactly where we were at that point in the season, that I- early in the season. I would tell you what my favorite non-conference game was that year, but I don't want to lead into it. I want to see. I want to see where yours is first because there were a lot of really good moments in that November December run, uh, Coach Self's first year. Was there a singular moment in that non-conference that you look back on more often than others? Um, had to be the Seton Hall game. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, not, not for myself personally in terms of the record, but I mean, being on that bench, if if people can get a really like a um, bird's eye view on the intensity we brought and the mindset we did coming down, you know, going, fighting back, you know, from that um, huge deficit we was down. And, and it was, it was remarkable. Like I, I still get goosebumps remembering that having that energy and you know, that halftime talk with coach self and the things he said to, to get us riled up and the things we said to each other, get riled up. And, and we showed it that second half and, you know, I've, and, and Frank, you know what I mean? He's, he um he flat out showed out so um so it it was fun it was fun it was fun it was definitely fun that's probably by far the um the game I remember the most that really stood out. There's two talks with my dad that I really remember from that game. First, you mentioned a halftime talk from Coach Self. My halftime talk in the concourse was my dad saying, I'm trying to convince him we should just leave. It's over. What's the point? He said, oh, stop. You know. And then the second one is as we're back out, heading back to the parking lot afterwards, he said, well, enjoy Frank while he's here. And I want to get into that real quick because Frank did come back a third year, and that was as good a news as any Illini fan or you guys probably in the locker room could get. But um, what was it? I mean, because Frank, he wasn't the best shooter. He wasn't necessarily the fastest guy. So was it just that he had an off-the-charts basketball sense that others didn't? Well, what made Frank so tricky is that a lot of people know he plays at different speeds. Because a lot of people ask, like, how did he get his shoulders passing by making it? It's just he played at so many different speeds. And then you underestimate his length as well. Um, then obviously, he has, you know, he can he's very creative with the ball. But I think his his um, his different speeds of the game is just it's it's scary at times. You mentioned the Seton Hall game. Another Frank moment that really stands out is the Iowa game, which I think came later that same Absolutely. year. And within a span of a minute, I think it's the last time Dick Vitale was actually over here for a game. And within right. a span of a minute, I think it's something like two layups, a steal, and then the behind-the-back thing to Brian Cook. Um, in, in a year that was full of them. So when that year ends, and you guys make the Elite Eight run, was the sense that Frank was going to go, or did he play that pretty close to the vest and surprise you guys with the news he was going to stay? Uh, he kind of surprised us, in a way. Um, I, you know, it's one of those things where everyone was on the fence. We're kind of wondering, you know, no one really asked him. We, You know, I didn't ask him. Sergio didn't ask him. You know, none of the guys kind of, you know, kind of like tapped him on the show. Like, hey, man, what you going to do? You know what I mean? Type thing. We kind of let it be. And again, you know, whatever decision he made, we were going to be extremely happy for him. And um, and luckily enough, you know, he came back for that that um, that third year and, and – um, and that was great for us. That was great for us. We got another Big Ten championship out of it. What I thought was cool, too, is that the senior night you guys played Indiana, and Mike Davis was the coach by then. And mm-hmm. you, you guys won, and I think secured, it was a few days later, up at Minnesota, again, secured right. another uh, uh, Big Ten title in dramatic fashion. But I remember that they also recognized Frank because he had been there for four years, which I thought was a really cool thing because he essentially right. he came in with you for the most part. Well, um, 
Frank was a prop just like I was. I was I came in in 97 with Serge. I was okay. class in 97. So I was a prop with that 97, 98 team, which was the best thing ever happened to me. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously, I always say that 97, 98 team don't get enough credit. Because um, that team had a, I mean, that Illinois team was full of studs with Hellman and Johnson and G and Turner and uh, Jerry Hester. I mean, that team was full of studs and um, and the maturity and, and the things that those guys taught us, taught me, Sergio, and at the time, Rich Byers, um, Avi Story was a freshman then. So, I mean, those things that they taught us carried on into that team in the, you know, the 98, 99 season. And it was just a blessing. And that's a team that I think that doesn't get enough credit. There's a couple rivalries that you guys built over those four years that you were here. Now, one of them, and I know there's a bit of a bitter taste at the end of it, would have been the three games against Arizona uh, your junior year. And, you know, we could talk about, well, and first off, here's a question for you, because you're an athlete that's played at a high level. For, is there any other game that you look back on with as much, gah, as that Elite Eight game against Arizona? Is that the one? Yeah, that's the one. That's the one I always sigh at. And um, I've become great friends with Lauren Woods um, because obviously throughout the years we played against each other in the Middle East and Asia and um, we got pretty close. And every I I promise you, every single time I talk to him, he always say, man, I appreciate (laughs) that. (laughs) And he's referring to the game. I appreciate y'all giving us that one. Appreciate y'all giving us that one. And he literally tells me that every single time I see him just out the blue. I appreciate that. If I call her right now, he'll say, what's up, CB? Hey, I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, like, there are very few teams, Corey, that I can remember, like, the seven or eight deep from an opposing team. And I can remember every guy on that starting lineup, and then you go to the bench with Luke Walton came off the bench, ended up having a good NBA career. Now he's a, is he still, I think, coaching the Kings now, but. um, Right, right. And. We were at Legends on campus watching this game, and we had the sound off, so we didn't get the whole Bill Walton calling his son's game sideshow. Right. Like we didn't really hear any of it, but I, I know that was a lot of frustration for people. But it, it was the most <laughs> surreal basketball game experience I remember watching because it felt like the fix was in, which sounds I know kind of like conspiratorial or something, but it felt yeah. unfair. And I can't imagine for you guys on the court as whistle blows after whistle blows, uh, the frustration that was mounting during that game right because it seemed like it was just getting taken away from us you know the mindset we had at the time again we're young you know i mean we're out there playing competing and and regardless what it is we just we're out there just gonna play you know what i mean and at the time i'm you know me and frank looking at each other i'm like it's and i'm like it's you know we're on the bench and during timeouts and in between free throws and you know, we're looking at Ben like Serge, you got how many fouls you got you know man and looking at arch how many fouls you got and we don't realize like no wonder on the bench everybody's fouled out. <laughs> I think the only person that wasn't in foul trouble was uh, was Nick Smith, and he was a red shirt. He couldn't play. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was one of those things that was just mind-blowing. Until this day, it's just like you said, we just just take a deep breath every time I think about that game. Mm-hmm. Just It's just always going to be one of those what-ifs. You know sure, what I mean? yeah. And what does Coach Self say during something like that? I mean, on one hand, he's got to keep you guys focused. On the other, I'm sure he's feeling it too. Um, I mean, he's one of those guys, if Kosef was a type that if it was something bothering him, he didn't, he didn't show it because he didn't want his, the way he, his attitude or whatever, kind of, he didn't want us to soak that in. And then we start pouting about certain things and stuff like that. And that's one thing we loved about him. Now, looking back, you don't pay attention to that, but I mean, during the time you don't pay attention to it, but looking back, you can kind of see the, the the coaching quality he had and stuff like that because he he didn't show any weak. If something was bothering him, he didn't show it. He made sure that he didn't put his frustration out there because he didn't want that to carry on to us and and, and have us playing and, and playing with frustration. Coach Sell stayed one more year after you left, and it was another successful year. It was Brian Cook's senior year. He was a monster, right. brought in D and Darren and those guys. Um, but when you are removed from the program, and I know that was only a year, and everything goes down where he goes to Kansas. Are, are there conflicted feelings, or, or is your perspective different than, say, average Joe from Champaign-Urbana, who's like, "Oh, how could he do this to Illinois?" Well, mine is different. You know, I mean, to this day, I have a great relationship with uh, with, with with Coach Self, and I mean, you're always going to be happy for the next guy. And and obviously, that was a dream job for him. And 
hey, and it, hey, he's gotten 20 Big Ten, Big 12 championships since he left. Insane. Um, and obviously we want that to be, you know, we want to stay at Illinois. But, you know, people move on and, and things happen. And you got to remember the, the great things he brought to their program and uh, the two Big Ten championships he brought, which was a blessing. So, Is he the best coach you've ever played for? And not to make you rank them, because Coach Kruger, obviously, I mean, he's borderline Hall of Fame coach too when all said and done. But, um, I mean, Naismith Hall of Famer, I, all the accolades for Coach right. Self, it's it's incredible. Um, again, those are two different personalities. And I always tell people that I was extremely lucky um, um, throughout my career having two, two, two of the best coaches in the country with coach Kruger and coach self. And I, I put those two together. It's, it's really, I really can't differentiate them in any way. I just kind of keep it the same and said, these are my two coaches. I got the best of them two years with each. And, and it was a blessing. And I'm extremely lucky because they're, those two guys are, are, are one of the main reasons why I've had such a long pro career because the things they taught me, I've used those tools throughout my whole pro career. And it's been, it's been a blessing. Just a few more questions for you, Corey. I appreciate your time. Um, yeah, no problem. So it, it was a tough, uh, tough bit of news that broke back in January when uh, Robert Archibald passed away. And kind of relating this to the Bill Self story of, of all the fond memories, and he continues to speak about those Illinois teams as some of his favorite coaching memories. But he also was there for uh, Arch's memorial service, as were many guys right. on that team. Um, you know, Arch, you mentioned characters. And the stories that were coming out, even back when he was in school, my sister was going to school the same time you guys were playing. He was just known for being one of the most jovial, personable people um, on a team that was full of them. What are your lasting memories uh, of Arch? Um, I think, um, you know, it, it, it kind of sucked during that time. I found out the news about Arch because I was actually in China during that time, doing a quarantine when, when, when all this stuff oh, broke wow. out. and. Um, hearing that news, it was just one of the toughest weeks of my, my life and stuff hearing that because obviously you got so much emotions going through your mind. And obviously being quarantined, I, 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 I usually do things to stay busy to keep my mind going. But, you know, all I can do is just sit there and just think about all the fun memories and stuff. And um, and the I think Lucas and Demir can tell you best because those three together was straight <laughs> comedy, straight comedy, straight yeah. comedy. <laughs> straight comedy so um i think arch's loving personality you know and and he's he's one of those guys that was extremely feisty on the court but his personality was totally different off the court um and i think a lot of people can vouch for that and a uh, great guy and um still kind of tough to even talk about him and stuff like that because you know so many so many memories back in the day kind of go through my mind and stuff just being around him and things so absolutely do you guys for all the guys that were on those teams keep like a group chat sort of thing or what's the what's the form of absolutely. contact you have absolutely yeah okay. absolutely Archibald's birthday was yesterday and um we're all in a group chat just saying cheers to him and and um blessings from above and and things like this so yeah we, we all stay in contact from time to time checking up on each other and, and things like that and Social media has been a, a huge thing for that, so it's, it's been great. It's been great being in touch with those guys day by day. Uh, one or two last uh, ones for you here, Corey. So Illinois basketball had a resurgent year. Obviously, COVID-19 keeps them from making the tournament, but let's be real. They would have they made the tournament. That uh, streak would be over all of that. Um, were you able to catch any of the games this year? Um, as much as I could, um, especially down the stretch. Uh, me, and, uh, me and Dominique Keller. Um, we we both wow. were in China at the time. At okay. the time, yeah. Me and Dominique is real tight, real tight because he's out in China as well. So very cool. Um, we were talking about it, and and of course we're rooting from afar. And like, come on, we got to get this win. We need this because we we wanted that Big Ten championship. That's oh, what sure. we wanted. Yeah. Because you know, of course, we're way overdue for that. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we, we. I mean, unfortunately, you know, this thing happens. But I wish it was one of those things where they can still have the selection show just to kind of put things at ease and mm. have people wonder if they're going to make the tournament or not and stuff like that. And, um, just kind of, kind of give everyone that, that feeling, you know what I mean? That, that, that making that tournament feeling. And then we can all just do our own brackets and obviously, you know, all <laughs> each university is going to have their university winning and stuff like that. But at the same time, why not? You know what I mean? Kind of give, kind of give the guys the pleasure of that, you know, yeah. that name called. I don't know if this sounds weird or not, but I I was almost looking forward to Selection Sunday as much as right. the actual games that would have come after it because it's been so long. 
Exactly, exactly. And that's what I was hoping for. Um, I think that's something that that everyone would have got a good pleasure out of. And unfortunately, they didn't do it, which was a surprise. I thought they would still have done that. You know what I mean? But uh, oh, well. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's just one of those things where when you go down rabbit holes in line, I fan, you think, of course, this happens to us. But really, they have set themselves up nicely for some success going forward. Uh, last question here, because I, I find some similarities uh, between Io and Frank. Again, neither of them was the best shooter. Uh, in measurables, you know, they're both pretty good in terms of size and athleticism and speed. But um, again, not the best at any one of those particular things. So do you notice similarities between the games of Io and Frank or maybe even just in the personalities that they carry on the court? Um, I mean, I, I see a huge similarity with everything and and um again you know with the with the with the with the toughness that we had and i seen the toughness that these guys have and what um and what the staff and uh, put upon these young guys has been it's been tremendous and again it's the sky's the limit to these guys and i hope they continue to use it as a stepping stone you know as the years to come and Hopefully we can get that young kid back that's been showing out for us this uh, this past season and keep a healthy team as well. And um, and hopefully things will turn out well. Yeah, there's a part of me that's like if Frank could come back a third year, why not Iowa, right? That would be huge news for Illinois. Uh, so exactly. You, so you're back in the States, Corey. You are right. staying at home. What, what What is your day-to-day like now that you're in the middle of this like the rest of us? Well, just staying at home. Um, obviously, just got done. I just rolled out the old faithful, my basketball goal, getting a few shots up. Um, that's the only way I know how to stay in shape. Sure. Um, try not to drive my wife crazy. And um, <laughs> that's about it. Just just enjoying this good weather and um, time with her and stuff has been blessed. That is one advantage of having to stay at home in Florida, of all places. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Corey, I got to be honest, is, you know, because I need to maintain some objectivity sometimes during interviews like this, but one of my all-time favorite Illini, so it's a thrill to be able to have you as the first true interview on the 200 level. It's an honor. I appreciate that, man. It's definitely an honor to have me on. I definitely appreciate that. Okay, well, Corey, take care, stay safe, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, take care. All right, we'll see you. All right, that was Corey Bradford here on the 200 level. Awesome for him to take about 30 minutes to speak with us. And we will get some more interviews going here. I'm glad that I finally got the setup. That was a Skype interview, and I thought the audio quality turned out okay. So uh, hopefully you enjoyed that, the first of many interviews. And as we go along, we'll talk with some of our favorites, like Trevor, Isaac, Brightweiser, Lon, and then I'll see if I can't get a little bit more aggressive in trying to book other people. Because here's the deal. Everyone's just chilling at home. So some of those gets, like this is Austin for the Jeremy Warner show, getting a Jay Billis. Why not? A Bruce Weber. Why not? But he's an ace producer. I don't have the production skills that he does. But uh, we will try to make sure that in terms of programming, we bring you some new voices, some old favorites, and we will try to just be part of your conversation and give you something to listen to over the next month at least as we go forward. A reminder, DPDO online at dpdo.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. For your custom zones, for some of your favorites, dpdo.com. That's dpdo.com. Also, Fourth and Kirby online for all your vintage inspired Alani apparel, fourthandkirby.com. That's fourthandkirby.com with coupon code the 200 level or just 200 level for 10% off your order, fourthandkirby.com. Also, Trevor's favorite domain name, brianismyguy.com for State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Got to thank Alana Inquire, Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Those are all the particulars. Support your local businesses any way that you can. Stay home, stay safe, stay healthy. It is March 31st. We're about to enter a full month of lockdown. So, you know, We'll get through it, which is such a token thing to say. And one way for me to do that is coming down here and talking into this microphone and to you, whoever cares to listen. So thank you for listening. We'll talk next time. I'll be back later this week with some of the guys for a more conversational round of the 200 level. 